Chapter 23 That's lovely. You are quite talented with the needle, Colette said. Fiora looked down at her handiwork. She had finished the leafy border around the rose and started to edge the fabric with a pattern inspired by the etchings mermaids used to record their enchanted songs. In fact, she had unintentionally notated part of the Kraken lullaby. She shrugged, brushing off Colette's compliment. The design was pretty, but certainly not her best work. She was simply passing the time. And she hadn't meant to draw attention to herself. Lady Annabelle leaned forward to get a better look at the fabric and scowled. I suppose every commoner knows how to sew. It's necessary if you don't have servants to make your clothes for you. Fiora wanted to say that Lady Annabelle must have an army of servants to sew for her since her own embroidery project had turned out so badly. If she had been able to speak, the words would have flown out without a moment's thought. Since she couldn't, she settled for a scornful look at Lady Annabelle before turning back to her own project. Let me see it, Dowager Queen Bernadine said. She set her own sewing aside and reached for Fiora's. After a moment's hesitation, Fiora handed it to her. What else could she do? Bernadine studied the sewing, turning the hoop over to look at the back of the fabric. Nicely done, she said. It takes real character and discipline to keep your stitches uniform and make the back of your embroidery as neat as the front. Not a single knot or tangle. And you've used an interesting mixture of sewing techniques. Most accomplished. Lady Annabelle sputtered, and the Dowager Queen winked at Fiora. Fiora grinned at her. It seemed she wasn't the only one who recognized Lady Annabelle's game for what it was. Then Fiora remembered she was trying not to attract attention and looked away. She didn't need friends. She had never needed friends. As if responding to that thought and determined to prove her wrong, a seagull flew through the open window and landed on Fiora's chair. If she'd had her voice, she would have shrieked in surprise. The seagull's feathers were streaked with black stains. Spot. Fiora tried to shoo him away but Spot shuffled from side to side to avoid her hands. He squawked and studied a crust of bread on her plate with interest. Fiora picked it up and held it towards him. Perhaps food would make him go away. Spot tilted his head, and Fiora realized he had something in his beak. He dropped whatever it was into her lap, grabbed the crust, and flew out the window. Everyone in the room stared at Fiora with wide eyes. She shrugged at them as if to say she had no idea what that was about and slowly moved her hand to cover the object that Spot had dropped. Her fingers closed over it, and she struggled to keep a neutral expression as she realized what it was. A shell. Fiora ran her thumb over it. The shell's surface was rough with carvings. It was possible Spot had found this on the beach, but not likely. Had someone used the seagull to send her a message? That meant the mermaids knew where she was. They had found her already. She hadn't been able to hide for even a single day. Fiora blinked and realized everyone was still staring at her. Lady Annabelle's jaw moved up and down as if she were trying to think of a clever insult but couldn't quite manage it. Am I interrupting something? Gustav entered the room and studied everyone's surprised looks with amusement. Your guest is some sort of witch. Lady Annabelle said. She said the words guest and witch as if they were the worst insults she could think of. They probably were. 
Lady Annabelle had spirit but lacked imagination. Fiora tightened her grip on the shell, desperate to read it. But there was no way to do so with so much attention focused on her. She fed a hungry bird, Eileen said, looking up from her book for a moment. That's no sign of magic. Gustav looked to his grandmother for an explanation. The Dowager Queen chuckled. You should pull things from the ocean more often, Gustav. This young lady is full of surprises. She gave Fiora an approving smile. Fiora blinked in surprise. No one had ever approved of her so quickly or easily before. She wasn't sure anyone had ever approved her in general. Whatever people expected from her, she usually managed to do the opposite and cause a scene. She had still done that, but Dowager Queen Bernadine seemed to be enjoying the scene very much. Gustav looked from Fiora to his grandmother. He looked equally surprised at the praise. Fiora guessed the Dowager Queen was not easily impressed. What happened, grandmother? Gustav signed. He didn't say the words out loud. Doubtless this was meant to be a private conversation. Nothing of consequence. We're simply sewing. How did your meeting with Marquis Corbo go? Dowager Queen Bernadine looked a little smug as she signed. Lady Annabel, Kara, and Elaine watched the exchange for a moment then lost interest. Apparently they didn't understand sign language. Some gestures were slightly different from the mermaid's version, but Fiora was able to follow the conversation without difficulty. It's rude not to speak aloud, Colette signed silently. Our guests will think you're gossiping about them. As if there was anything worth gossiping about there, Dowager Queen Bernadine signed. Elaine cares more about her book than any of us. Kara is too shy to contribute, and Annabelle is trying to prove herself a lady through gross incompetence in both needlework and conversation. Fiora snorted at this description. This didn't require her voice, so it made a sound. An extremely unladylike sound that filled the entire room. Everyone turned to look at her. She froze. Do you understand sign language, girl? Bernadine signed. Fiora tried to keep her expression blank, but the Dowager Queen's eyes gleamed with the joy of discovery. Where did you learn? Certainly not from your seagull friends. They don't have hands. Fiora couldn't help the flash of amusement in her eyes at the Dowager Queen's words. Last at all. So you do understand? Gustav spoke out loud in his enthusiasm. You know sign language? That's marvelous. Now you can tell us about yourself. Thomas resumed his translating duties for the Dowager Queen, who nodded her agreement. What's your name? Gustav continued. Where do you come from? Fiora set down her sewing and raised shaky hands to answer. But what could she say? No lie would sufficiently explain how she came to be naked in the ocean on castle grounds. The truth was equally improbable and even more dangerous. What's going on? Lady Annabel asked. Are you saying she can communicate with us but has chosen not to? Her voice sounded innocent, but her expression was predatory. She may not completely understand the situation, but Fiora's discomfort was obvious. Annabelle had gained the upper hand over Fiora, and she knew it. They both knew it. I. Fiora signed the single word, and everyone leaned towards her waiting for the next. There was nothing she could say that would help.
Her thoughts were too scattered to even give them a fake name. Fiora grabbed the shell from her lap and bolted from the room. Pain shot through her feet, and she realized too late that she had left her shoes hidden under her chair. She ducked into the first empty hallway she found and paused to read the shell. As she had suspected, it was carved with a song. Zoe's part from their royal quartet. Such an enchantment was unlikely to have washed up on the beach. This was a message. From Zoe? Or was it a trap? Fiora took a few deep breaths, trying to calm her racing heart. Someone knew she was here. She could run further inland, but they had tracked her here so easily that they would doubtless find her again. And even if they didn't, she would always be looking over her shoulder, waiting until they did. She needed to face whoever had sent the shell on her own terms instead of letting them ambush her. If it was Zoe, meeting her was probably safe enough. Unless her cousin had told others. There was only one way to find out. Last at all. Fior ran through the castle, ducking into corridors to avoid the guards, servants, and nobles that meandered through the halls. Finally, she found the door to the garden and hurried outside. Beds of flowers and manicured hedges gave way to sandy beaches at the garden's edge. Fiora ducked around a corner, hoping she was out of sight of the doorway by now. Something rustled in a nearby tree, and Fiora ducked down to avoid being detected. Squawk? Spot the seagull looked down at her. You? Fiora spoke the word even though it made no sound. Then she signed it for good measure. Spot hopped on the ground and pecked for crumbs. Fiora held the shell towards the bird, hoping he might lead her to the place he had found it. But he had discovered an apple core under a bush and was no longer interested in Fiora. Something splashed in the water. A wave? Or something more? Fiora followed the sound, ducking under trellises whenever possible to stay out of view from the castle windows overhead. Finally she reached a bench hidden by a wrought iron arch covered with climbing ivy. She sat on it, glad to give her feet a break, and dug her toes into the sand. She was close enough to the water to see anything unusual that happened, but not close enough that anyone could catch her by surprise. Spot landed on the sand beside Fiora's feet. A soft song drifted through the air, and a fish washed up on the beach. The seagull grabbed it and flew away. Before Fiora could react, Zoe emerged from the water. The young mermaid beamed when she saw Fiora. Oh good, the bird found you. Fiora nodded and tossed the shell back to her cousin. Zoe caught it and tied it in her hair. They're searching the ocean for you. I've almost convinced grandmother that you didn't wake the kraken on purpose. I told her that I lost focus and sang a wrong note. Zoe, you shouldn't have done that. But maybe it's true. What else could explain the kraken waking? I didn't do it on purpose but I did sing a few notes out of tune. You can't take the blame for this. You'll ruin your chances of joining a choir. I'd rather have you home than sing in a choir. I told you I would fix everything. Why did you leave before I could? To Fiora's surprise, Zoe's eyes filled with tears. It seemed mermaids could cry after all. Fiora swallowed. She hated to involve Zoe further, but if the mermaid was determined to interfere— she should know what she was dealing with. While I was hiding in the statue garden, 
I overheard Leander plotting with someone to kill me. Zoe gasped. When she tried to speak, her questions ran into each other and came out as sputtering. I don't know who it was. There was a lady and someone with a deep voice that made the ground rumble. Like it did before the kraken woke up. Do you think Leander was responsible for that? Why would Leander wake a kraken? Zoe frowned. I'm sure there could be a reason, she said after clearly failing to think of one. Fiora wished she had any idea what that reason could be, but Leander was a trusted member of the Royal Guard. If Leander truly believes I woke the kraken on purpose, he might see it as his duty to eliminate me to protect the queen. That's ridiculous, Zoe said. I'll keep an eye on him. Maybe I can find something useful. Zoe, no. That's dangerous. I'll be careful. Fiora sighed silently. She doubted Zoe was capable of being careful. Maybe if she had another mission to distract her, she would forget about following Leander. Zoe, could you do something for me? Of course. I used an enchantment on a conch shell to transform myself into a human. There's a second shell with more information about the song in the library. Could you bring it to me? So you didn't use your pearl ring. Fiora held out her hand to show the dull pearl. The young mermaid brightened. You said it was a conch shell. I can find it and bring it to you tomorrow. Unless you find love before then and don't need it. I'm unlikely to find love so quickly, Zoe. That isn't how it works. Are you sure? I've been using that golden ball you hid in the library to learn more about the human world. The princess and the frog fell in love rather quickly. Fiora had no idea what Zoe was talking about, and she had too much on her mind to ask further questions. So you'll bring the shell tomorrow. Zoe nodded. I'll give your pet seagull a message for you when I'm here. He's not a pet. He's a pest. A sound interrupted them. Footsteps coming closer. Hello? Gustav's voice called. Are you there, miss? You should go. He'll find us soon. Zoe ducked lower in the water. Is that a human man? Are you trying to win his love so you can use the pearl ring instead of the enchantment? Fiora raised an eyebrow. Of all the escape plans she had considered, winning Gustav's affection was not one of them. No, I'm not trying to make him love me. Do you love him? No. Zoe smiled. Then you should return to the ocean as soon as possible. I miss you, Fiora. The young mermaid dove beneath the waves and didn't resurface. Fiora stared at the water, unsure what to feel. No one had ever wanted her before. No one had ever missed her when she left. Or maybe they had, and she had simply failed to notice. Chapter 24 Gustav sprinted through the castle cursing himself for not following the woman the moment she fled. He had been too surprised to react when she bolted from the room, and now he had lost her. Servants pointed down the hallways when they saw him. He assumed this meant that the lady had passed that way. There was no time to stop for questions. After a few false trails, he found himself outside. Gustav stood in the doorway and searched the garden. No sign of the woman. No sign of anything out of the ordinary except a rather dirty seagull eating a fish on the shore. Well, it was a start.
Gustav walked slowly through the garden, checking likely hiding spots as he made his way towards the water. Why did everything always come back to the sea? He heard voices. A woman speaking. His heart raced. Could she speak after all? What if she was the one who had saved him and was simply too shy to say so? Hello? Are you there, miss? Silence. Gustav jogged towards the place he had heard the voice. Maybe it was someone else. But if that was the case, perhaps she had seen the woman. He reached a trellis and rounded the corner slowly, hoping not to scare whoever was hiding behind the ivy. The woman sat on the bench staring at the ocean. She flinched when she saw Gustav but didn't run. She didn't look like she had the energy to go any further. I'm sorry, Gustav said. Then he signed the words for good measure. Maybe she was deaf as well? She stared at him for a long moment. Gustav stood as still as he could, trying not to scare her further. He didn't want her to run again. Finally, she sighed and relaxed a little. I understand speech and sign language, she signed. Why did you run when we asked you about it? They were beyond the bounds of propriety at this point. He might as well just ask. Instead of answering, the woman limped to the edge of the beach and sat on a low seawall. She pulled her skirt up to her knees and dangled her bare feet in the water. Some of the tension in her face eased. Gustav watched her for a moment, then kicked his shoes off, rolled up his trousers to his ankles, and joined her. There was something soothing about waves lapping against your skin. It cleared his head until he almost remembered where he had seen her before. Questions hadn't helped, so Gustav remained silent. The woman seemed deep in thought and content to simply sit there. Gustav took a deep breath and closed his eyes. He couldn't remember the last time he sat on the beach and enjoyed the warmth of the sun. When he opened his eyes, the woman was watching him. She raised her hands as if to sign something then lowered them again. You're sure you can't speak? Gustav said. I thought I heard someone speaking a moment ago. She glared at him not needing words or signs to communicate that she found his question extremely stupid. Sorry. I'm so sorry. It's just, I'm looking for someone who sings. I heard a voice in the garden and thought it might be you. I'm sure Lady Annabelle would be happy to sing for you. All you need to do is ask. Gustav winced, then noticed the gleam in her eyes. You're mocking me. She shrugged. There are hundreds of people in your kingdom who could sing for you. Why are you so determined to find this particular woman? Who is she? Gustav considered the question a moment, trying to form the story in a way that wouldn't sound crazy. I was in a shipwreck yesterday and washed up on the beach. Someone dragged me out of the water and sang to me. I'd like to thank her for saving my life. I love her. The words almost came out on their own but Gustav managed to hold them in. He had a lifetime of practice keeping his thoughts to himself. It was only in the past few days that he had become careless and unpredictable in what he said. He searched her eyes for doubt or disbelief but found only curiosity. He traced the faint scar in his hairline and continued the story. My ship was attacked by Kraken. I was washed overboard and somehow floated to shore. I don't remember much of that. Just a voice and a woman. And magic.
Why were you sailing? Where were you going? She pulled her feet out of the water, stared at them for a moment, then submerged them again. Maybe it was because she was using sign language, but Gustav felt no judgment from her question. It had been a long time since someone simply asked him something without any sort of accusation or expectation accompanying their words. My father went missing almost a year ago. This magic ring is supposed to track him. I thought I could use it to find him, but it led me to the middle of the ocean instead. Then Kraken attacked. I'm sorry about your father. And she did look sorry. She met Gustav's gaze with a sort of sad understanding in her eyes. You've lost someone? She nodded. My mother died when I was young. No one has ever told me exactly what happened to her. I think not knowing is worse than anything the truth could be. Her expression darkened at whatever memories thoughts of her mother brought up. Gustav studied her face, desperate to know more about her. I understand the sentiment. If I knew my father was dead, I could move on. I could grieve and heal. But I can't leave him alone to an unknown fate. The woman placed her hand over his and squeezed his fingers. Of course you can't. She had to let go of his hand to make the signs, and Gustav wished she didn't. He wanted to return the gesture and take her hand to comfort her, but that would leave her effectively mute. Instead, he placed his hand near her on the wall. Just in case she wanted to hold his hand again. Sadly, she didn't. Your mother died when you were young. She signed. I think I remember hearing that. Gustav nodded and made a mental note that she must not be from Montaigne. Any citizen would know for certain when the queen had died and how it had happened. What about your father? Gustav asked. The rest of your family. The woman pursed her lips together. They want nothing to do with me. Why not? She shook her head and stared at the ocean. Gustav couldn't help wondering if her family had treated her badly because she was mute. But surely a father wouldn't abandon his daughter simply because she couldn't speak. Someone had taught her sign language. Someone had taken her in. And then someone had left her in the ocean with literally nothing. There was something so familiar about her. Some mystery he felt the need to solve. Maybe she was cursed. Under some magical influence less obvious than being transformed into a talking frog. Could a curse steal someone's voice? Or their clothes or memories? He thought back to his misadventures with Stefan and Karina. Prince Stefan's curse had come with a set of rules. Things he couldn't talk about without severe consequences. Perhaps this girl's curse meant she couldn't talk at all. Or that she couldn't answer certain questions. Even with sign language. Gustav had researched curses as thoroughly as he could when his father disappeared. Their effects and conditions varied, but most didn't allow the person under the enchantment to admit they were cursed. So it would be pointless to ask her. She might run again if he tried to pry. Or he would look extremely insensitive for assuming that a physical disability must be the work of dark magic. Perhaps she was simply mute. But if it was magic... There were as many ways to break curses as there were curses themselves. Princess Karina had set Prince Stefan free with a kiss and recommended that Gustav do the same if he ever needed to break an enchantment. Gustav's eyes settled on the woman's lips. She had an ice mouth. 
even if it was scowling at him in confusion right now. He flushed. It would be beyond inappropriate to lean over and kiss her right now. Curse or not, definitely inappropriate. Tempting, but inappropriate. I should go, she signed. Where is your home? She shrugged and didn't answer. Apparently that subject was also a flimmitz. Perhaps I'll travel inland. I've always lived by the sea. A change might be nice. Do you have someone to stay with? Any friends or family? She shook her head, but her eyes were defiant. As if daring him to say that she needed those things to survive. That was exactly what Gustav had been going to say, but her expression stopped him. Instead, he pulled his feet out of the ocean and turned to face her. I wonder if you could do me a favor? Her expression became suspicious. Gustav smiled, trying to relieve her fear. I'm supposed to spend the afternoon opening birthday presents from royal families and writing thank you notes. It will be dull, but you could join me if you like. It would annoy Marquis Corbo immensely. She grinned at him. Then her grin broadened into a silent laugh. Gustav joined her, his laughter echoing over the waves and mixing with the cries of seagulls. When was the last time he had laughed like that? Sometime before his father had disappeared, that was certain. Not to brag, but I have a history of annoying people. I'd be happy to help annoy your Marquis. Perfect. Gustav hopped up and held out his hand. She took it, and he helped her to her feet. The hem of her skirt was damp, and the back of her dress was covered in sand. She stumbled, and Gustav offered his arm. The woman hesitated, then took it with a trembling hand. She kept her grip light. As if she might run away at any moment. Halfway back to the castle, Gustav realized he had left his shoes on the shore. He would need to send someone to fetch them later. If he had been walking with anyone else, he would have turned back to fetch them and saved a servant the effort. But something in the way the girl walked suggested that she was in pain. She didn't limp, but her steps were cautious. As if the ground might give way beneath her. She met his gaze and smiled a little, and Gustav forgot all about his shoes. Chapter 25 Why is she here? Marquis Corbo looked every bit as annoyed at the woman's presence as Gustav had hoped he would. It was probably immature to take so much pleasure in that, but the Marquis had thwarted attempts to rescue father and tried to force Gustav into marriage. He deserved a little discomfort. That was an unkingly thought, but Gustav reminded himself that he wasn't fully king yet. She is our guest and wanted to see more of the castle. Send her away to tour the kitchens with a servant then. He does realize I can hear him, doesn't he? Gustav bit back a grin as the woman signed. Marquis Corbo scowled. So, she can communicate after all. What did she say? She said that she needs a translator, and Colette and my grandmother were busy. The rest of the servants who know sign language are preparing for the gala. Home? The Marquis looked at the woman like he might look at a wilted flower arrangement. She returned his glare, equally unimpressed. Gustav stepped between them. I believe we have things to do, Marquis? Where are the gifts? There were too many for your office, so I sent them to the library. You'll work from there today. 
The Marquis bustled ahead towards the library, eager to get started. Gustav hurried after him, then noticed the woman had fallen behind. She wasn't limping exactly. It was more like she was trying not to look like she was limping. He walked back to her and offered his arm. I'm not a weakling. I don't need help. I didn't say you were. It's common courtesy. He signed the words so that Marquis Corbo wouldn't overhear and demand a translation of the conversation. She looked suspicious but took his arm. At first, her hand barely rested on his sleeve. As if she were accepting his gesture but also determined to make her point. Her entire body was stiff. Gustav didn't comment. He simply walked beside her at a comfortable pace. So slowly that he hardly noticed it was happening, her hand rested more weight on his arm and her shoulders loosened. Her face relaxed. What is taking you so long? Marquis Corbo said. She tensed again and gritted her teeth as if biting back a response. Please forgive his eagerness, Gustav said. He gets a little carried away with gala preparations. Only a little. The words were innocent, but the smirk that accompanied her signs was far from it. She had to let go of his arm to make the gestures. Gustav was pleased when she took it again. His satisfied feeling disappeared when he entered the library. The enormous room was full of gifts. Brightly wrapped boxes were organized into stacks that reached to the top of the lofted ceilings and leaned against bookshelves. It would take hours to go through them all and be impossible to reach any of the books until they had been removed. The woman stared with wide eyes, just as surprised as Gustav. Marquis Corbo was already commanding a small army of servants and scribes. You there. You will bring the gifts to His Majesty. You will record his impressions. You will take down his official messages of thanks. Colette's taking over the administrative duties was supposed to give Gustav more time, but opening so many gifts would leave no time to search for his father or the mystery girl. He was no better off than before. You'll need to build another castle to fit all these. Gustav smiled. What did she say? Marquis Corbo said. She said everyone is extremely generous to give me so many gifts. She gave him a look. Gustav shrugged. There was no point upsetting the Marquis with an accurate translation. Please, what should I call you? He signed. What is your name? She had grown more comfortable, but the question set her on edge again. She crossed her arms and looked away from him. Perhaps she wasn't able to tell him because of the conditions of her curse. Or maybe she just didn't want to. The servants had placed a chair near the scribe's desk for Gustav. He pulled another one beside it so the woman could sit with him. We'll start with gifts from royal families, Marquis Corbo said. It is important that you send a heartfelt message of thanks for each one to help strengthen our relationships. Gustav looked at the mountains of boxes and bit back a sigh. Yes, this was an important diplomatic task. And he wished he didn't have to do it. From the royal family of Ionia, a servant said, offering a package. The woman stiffened. Gustav studied her from the corner of his eye, looking for a clue. Did she have some connection to Ionia? The box was wrapped in silver paper with golden illustrations of goats painted on it. Do you think they sent you a goat? She signed. What did she say? 
Marquis Corbo demanded. She said the wrapping paper is very shiny. She likes shiny things because they're pretty. He didn't try to keep the sarcasm from his tone. This time it was the woman who bit back a grin. She raised her hand to cover her smile, and Marquis Corbo looked at the two of them suspiciously. Gustav did his best to keep an innocent expression as he tore open the wrapping paper and pulled out the gift. It was a sweater. Cashmere from the feel of it. And it was the ugliest thing Gustav had ever seen. The fabric, while soft, was bright red with yellow and orange stripes of seagulls flying across it. Each gull had a jeweled eye that sparkled and reflected color through the room as the fabric moved. Gustav turned to his companion, but she was too surprised to comment. She stared at the sweater with her mouth hanging open. They included a note, Marquis Corbo said. He pulled a small piece of parchment from the remains of the wrapping paper and read aloud. Prince Stefan and Princess Karina offer their good wishes for His Majesty King Gustav's birthday and hope he enjoys this sweater designed by Bastian, head tailor and royal designer of Vionia. The designer calls it a study of cashmere and sunset. Marquis Corbo took the sweater from the stunned Gustav and handed it to a servant. The jewels sent even more flashes of light around the library as she folded the sweater and tucked it into a box. We need to record your thoughts, Your Majesty, the scribe said. What thanks would you like to send the royal family of Ionia for this generous gift? Generous did not begin to cover it. Last Stefan and Karina. Gustav looked around the room trying to think of something appropriate to say. Will they expect you to wear that? The woman signed. Tell Marquis Corbo that I think you should wear the sweater to your birthday gala as a sign of diplomatic goodwill towards Ionia. Gustav glared at her. He couldn't picture a single occasion that would be appropriate for him to wear that monstrosity. What did she say? Marquis Corbo said. Honestly, Your Majesty, it will take ages to open these gifts if she keeps interrupting. The woman stuck her tongue out at the Marquis. Fortunately, he was looking at Gustav and didn't notice. Gustav gave her a sideways glance. She said that the sweater is beautiful because it is so shiny, and she wishes she had one like it. I would like to offer it to her as a way to welcome her to Montaigne. Perhaps she would honor me by wearing it to the gala? She crossed her arms and glared at Gustav. Marquis Corbo looked horrified. Your Majesty can't offer a birthday gift from the royal family of Ionia to someone else. Ha! Huh? You're stuck with it. The scribe sitting at the desk cleared his throat. What message would Your Majesty like to send to Ionia? Gustav swallowed. What on earth could he say about the sweater that would not start a war? Diplomacy had never been so difficult. Tell them it left you speechless. It was better than anything he could think of. Gustav nodded. Tell the royal family of Ionia that their generous gift was so unique that it left me speechless. I literally do not have words to express my feelings of thanks. Marquis Corbo nodded his approval. Gustav sighed and leaned back in his chair. Surely the gifts couldn't get any worse than that. This one is from Lord Panay, Marquis Corbo said. Lady Annabelle's father. Gustav signed to explain the concerned face he was making. He eyed the box suspiciously. It was rectangular and flat and wrapped in a crimson cloth. Probably not a sweater. Any guesses?
he asked the woman. She studied the gift. Art? Perhaps. Marquis Corbo rolled his eyes and did not request a translation. Gustav untied the ribbon and pulled the red cloth away. He saw a gilded gold frame first. Then he saw the painting and forgot all about the frame. A portrait of a naked woman stared back at him. She was tastefully covered by carefully draped hair and flowing fabric, but the overall effect was undeniably seductive. Gustav blinked at the portrait and felt his face go red. Your Majesty, what is the, oh dear? Marquis Corbo stared at the portrait, just as shocked as Gustav. Gustav heard rustling and turned. The woman bent over to pick up a note that had fallen to the ground. She read it and began shaking with silent laughter. It isn't funny, Gustav said. She was laughing too hard to reply and handed him the note instead. Gustav read it aloud. Your Majesty, please accept this recently commissioned portrait of my daughter, Lady Annabel, as. Gustav stopped reading the note. He handed the portrait to Marquis Corbo who handed it to a servant. He hadn't paid much attention to the portrait's face before, but he looked at it now. Yes, it was Lady Annabel. What a unique gift, Marquis Corbo said in a choked voice. The woman was laughing so hard that she was in danger of falling out of her seat. Unique indeed, she signed. If it makes any difference, she is supposed to represent an ancient goddess. It said so in the note. Is that so? Gustav said. Marquis, please tell me that the rest of the suitable local ladies you've invited to the gala have not also sent gifts. Perhaps she'll come to the gala like that. If she does, you can offer her the Ionian sweater to wear. I almost hope she does. Someone should get use out of that monstrosity. You're one to talk about going places unclothed. Gustav signed the words before thinking. The moment his hands made the gestures, he wished he could take them back. The woman's face fell, and all traces of laughter left her eyes. Stupid. This was why he always thought before he spoke. A king couldn't afford careless comments. Forgive me, Gustav whispered. I did not mean it like that. What are you two talking about? Marquis Corbo said. She suggested that I offer Lady Annabel the Ionian sweater as cover. Was it Gustav's imagination, or did a flicker of amusement cross Marquis Corbo's face? What message of thanks would your majesty like to send? The scribe asked. Good grief. What could he possibly say in such a situation? You could say that you appreciate the effort she has put into catching your attention by throwing herself at you naked, but that another lady beat her to it. The woman had a dangerous gleam in her eyes. Gustav swallowed, unsure what to do. She studied him for a moment, then shrugged. I know you meant no offense, she signed, offering a small smile. Gustav let out a breath he didn't realize he had been holding. He hadn't offended her with his careless comment. Thank goodness for that. Your message? The scribe prompted again. Perhaps a simple thank you and a compliment to the artist would suffice, Marquis Corbo suggested. Gustav nodded. Yes, that will do very well. And where would your majesty like the painting to be displayed? A servant asked. Somewhere my grandmother won't see it, Gustav said. 
Perhaps your private chamber? The woman's blue eyes twinkled with amusement. Gustav shook his head. She's not my type. Out loud he said, we'll leave it in the library with the other gifts for now. Put it by the sweater. 